0: Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Mary Alice and I'm one of the ministers here at Calvary. And if you are new to Calvary today, we are really glad that you're here. And we want you to know that you are welcome in this space today. You will need a worship folder as well as one of the hymnals in front of you to guide you in worship today. Also, we would be honored for the opportunity to follow up with you later this week by email or phone to get to know you better. One way that can happen is if you would be willing to fill out the visitor card in your pew and place it in the offering plate later in the service. That's also a way that you can ask for more information about different ministries at Calvary or let us know how we can be praying for you and with you in the coming week. Well, I'm mindful that today is Father's Day, and many of us bring a variety of lived experiences and emotions with us into this room today. We have a litany in your worship folder that tries to acknowledge all of these different experiences and perspectives, and know that whether today is a day that you celebrate, or today is a day that you are just trying to make it through, We hold space for that, and we hold space for you in this place today. Well, this has been a week of celebration for Calvary. At the Baptist Women in Ministry annual gathering in Dallas this week, right before CBF General Assembly, Calvary was recognized as the 2018 Baptist Women in Ministry Church of Excellence. Our plaque says, with grateful appreciation to Calvary Baptist Church, Waco, Texas, for faithful affirmation of the leadership and gifts of Baptist women and encouragement and generous support of Baptist women in ministry. There was a wonderful slideshow in our worship service highlighting Calvary's story, beginning with ordaining Fran Porter, Nathan Porter's wife, as a minister, and then calling Julie Pennington Russell as pastor. Thanks to Brad Livingstone, we even had pictures of the picketers who came on Julie's very first Sunday. We celebrated God's good work through the host of women who have served as staff, deacons, and lay leaders here at Calvary over the years. I am always grateful to be part of the Calvary family, but I was especially grateful this week for our rich history and our continued commitment to affirming and celebrating God's gifts through women in ministry. Well, today is also the beginning of a two-week stretch of missions here at Calvary. Tonight, we will begin to canvas our neighborhood and prepare for Children's Bible Club, which will happen every night this week from 6 to 8 p.m. as we share Jesus' love with children from our church and our community And then on Saturday, our South Texas team will be leaving for Laferia, Texas, where we will serve with Pastor Melba Zapata doing construction work and VBS with New Wine Baptist Church. And then on Sunday, a week from today, our youth group and a team of adults will leave for Colorado Springs to serve alongside First Baptist Church there to do VBS construction work and to serve in a local food pantry. And so we thought it would be meaningful as we begin worship today to take a moment to pray over all of our different ministry teams who will be serving in these next two weeks. And so if you are going to be serving in Children's Bible Club right here in our neighborhood, if you'll be traveling to Laferia on our South Texas team, or if you'll be traveling to Colorado Springs with our youth ministry, I would like to invite you all to stand right now and to spread yourself out in the aisles and and throughout the front. If you're helping at Bible Club in any way, and if you're serving on one of these mission teams, we would love to take this time at the beginning of worship to pray over you. And so as you all scatter yourselves out, I would now like to invite the rest of us to scatter about and to lay hands on the people standing near you and to pray for and with these mission leaders. Feel free to scatter about and lay hands at this time. God, we ask for your deep abiding love to surround all of our mission teams at each and every part of their journey these next two weeks. Grant us safety and traveling mercies at each point along our journeys. We pray for each child, each person we will encounter. Help us to see your image in them. Help us to share your love with them. Help us to experience you through them. When we are unsure of next steps, give us discernment and wisdom to know the way. When we are discouraged, help us to see you in unexpected people and places. When we are tired or flat-out exhausted, give us a newfound energy and enthusiasm in the work to which you have called us. Give us the opportunity each day to shine with your light, to walk in your love, and to come alive to your presence at work within us and all around us. We ask that you would go before us, behind us beside us and always with us amen you may be seated
1: creation. Yes, Lord, you are holy as we lift our voices and exalt you today. We gather together today to praise you, our risen, surprising Savior, in the midst of a broken world, a world where those with much pursue more, a world where those with much turn away those with little, a world where those with little are stripped of the little they have. Lord, to say the least, you are different, You are beyond the strivings of this world. You, God, ever-flowing spirit, possess an abundance, and you bless us with an abundant life. Help us to see your blessing of overflowing abundance, even within our community. The hands and hearts of Bible Club volunteers and missions teams, abundant in love for our church, our neighborhood, and our world. The diligent and dedicated work of our ministers and staff abundant in calling and care for this community, the presence of young people in our midst, abundant in eagerness for you and hope for the future of your church. Thank you for these abundant blessings and may we continue to perceive them in our lives. Through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our triune God who was, is, and is to come, amen.
2: is the Lamb who was slain.
3: Holy, holy is
2: He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on And I will adore you. Filled with wonder, awestruck wonder at the mention of your name Jesus, Jesus your name is power breath and living water such a marvelous mystery holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was is to come with all creation i sing praise to the king of kings you are my everything and i will adore you holy 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 is the lord god almighty was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything and I will adore you.
4: A reading from the book of Genesis.
5: And Pharaoh said to Joseph,
6: I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it.
4: Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not
7: I. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer.
4: Then Pharaoh said to Joseph,
6: In my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile, and seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Then seven other cows came up after them, poor, very ugly, and thin. Never had I seen such ugly ones in all the land of Egypt. The thin and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had done so for they were still as ugly as before. Then I awoke. I fell asleep a second time, and I saw in my dream seven ears of grain, full and good, growing on one stalk, and seven ears, withered thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouting after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. But when I told it to the magicians, there was no one who could explain it to me.
4: Then Joseph said to Pharaoh,
7: Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, as are the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. After them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. The plenty will no longer be known in the land because of the famine that will follow, for it will be very grievous. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a man who is discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plenteous years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming, and lay up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to befall the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine.
5: During the seven plenteous years, the earth produced abundantly. He gathered up all the food of the seven years when there was plenty in the land of Egypt and stored it up food in the cities. He stored up in every city the food from the fields around it.
4: So Joseph stored up grain in such abundance, like the sand of the sea, that he stopped measuring it. It was beyond measure. The seven years of plenty that prevailed in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. Just as Joseph had said. There was a famine in every country, but throughout the land of Egypt
5: there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh
4: for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians,
6: Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do.
4: And since the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, All the world came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine became severe throughout the world.
7: A reading from the Gospel according to John.
4: So again Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them.
6: I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved, and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes in only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly.
4: This is
5: the word of God. Thanks. Thanks be to God.
2: we uh-huh. Up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love. never runs out Fails, it never gives up It never runs out on me. Your
8: love. You'll see in your worship folder that we are going to enter into a time of um, group reflection and sharing with friends and family in this place. Um, I know that sharing isn't always easy. It's not for me. I'd rather reflect by myself. Um, But I think that sharing with one another is sacred. And I think this topic of abundance that we're going to study and learn more about over the next few weeks encourages us to live life in community. So I hope that you'll consider that this morning as we ask you to reflect verbally with others. So if you'll look in the worship folder with me, here are some of the questions we're going to ask you all to talk about. Reflect on the lyrics to the song, One Thing Remains. Have you experienced God's love not giving up or running out in your life? And if so, what has that looked like? Or are there ways in which you see a scarcity or lack of God's presence in your life or in the world around you? What has that looked like? All answers are welcome here. Um, If you do want to reflect by yourself, you're welcome to do so. But I invite you all to get into a small group, um, three to five people, turn around get up and move if you see a guest with us this morning go share with them Um, I invite you to do that at this time
0: an additional scripture reading for us today from Exodus it's chapter 1 verses 8 through 22 now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph he said to his people look the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we come let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase and in the event of war Join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless, and imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor they were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them the king of egypt said to the hebrew midwives one of whom was named shifra and the other puah when you act as midwives to the hebrew women and see them on the birth stool if it is a boy him. but if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, "Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife even comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile but you shall let every girl live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, now gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Ebola. Arrived in America on September 20th, 2014, when United Airlines Flight 822 touched down at the Dallas Fort Worth International Airport. Unbeknownst to him, a Liberian man named Thomas Eric Duncan was carrying the disease. Thomas had flown to DFW via Brussels and then Washington, D.C., with plans to marry a Dallas woman named Louise Tro, who was the mother of Duncan's son. Five days after being in Dallas and reunited with his family, Thomas began to feel sick. He finally went to the emergency room at Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital with a severe headache and nausea, but a doctor Failing to notice that he was also running a fever that spiked at 103 degrees, and failing to notice that he had recently traveled from Africa, never imagined that Thomas might have Ebola, so the doctor gave him a prescription for antibiotics and sent him home. Over the next couple of days, Thomas began to sweat profusely and his fever continued to rise so much so that they returned him to the hospital by ambulance this time on Sunday afternoon. This time a nurse started to put the pieces together and made the call that there was a possible Ebola patient at the hospital. Of course, when the public got wind of the report, it suddenly sent the city of Dallas and soon the rest of the country spiraling in fear. Despite treatment, Thomas Duncan passed away from the disease while being under quarantine on October 8th. Two of his nurses, Nina Pham and Amber Vinson, also contracted the disease while taking care of him, but were later cured. An article in the Dallas Morning News says this, In the midst of the Ebola crisis, we learned a lot about the chaotic, reason-eroding effects of pure, unharnessed panic. For a few dicey days last October, it sometimes seemed that Dallas was ground zero for the unhinging of our entire nation. In hindsight, it's easy to minimize how intensely frightened people were at the first and to date only Ebola outbreak in the United States. Dallas's toll was one death and two infections, a mere tiny statistic compared with the annual ravages of cancer or murder. And yet, A hazmat crew was dispatched after a woman spat on the platform at the Dallas train station one day for fear she might have Ebola. An elementary school teacher in Maine was actually placed on three weeks' leave from work after she attended a conference 10 miles from Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital where Thomas Duncan was confined. A college in Corsicana began rejecting applicants from Nigeria for fear that they might carry Ebola. And port authorities in Mexico refused to allow a cruise ship to dock after learning that it carried a vacationing lab survivor who had worked at Presbyterian Hospital. Blockades were set up and traffic halted after a car sick passenger threw up on the bus that just happened to be near the Pentagon. And parents at a Mississippi middle school pulled their kids out of class after learning that the principal had been to a funeral in Zambia, which was about the same distance from Africa's Ebola hotspot as Dallas is from Seattle. Now, I certainly don't want to make light of the seriousness of Ebola. But I do want to point out that we do not make the best decisions. When we are operating from a place of fear. Which is exactly what I think we find Pharaoh doing in today's text in Genesis 41. For the first time in scripture, Pharaoh begins to express a fear of scarcity. Fear that there's not enough and that something must be done to ensure that he always has enough. Or really more than enough, even at the expense of others. But this fear of scarcity is completely counter to all that we have read thus far in the book of Genesis. As we've discussed these last few weeks in worship, the Bible starts out with this beautiful liturgy of abundance, as scholar Walter Brueggemann calls it. We see over and over and over again throughout the first chapter of Genesis that God created, that God brought forth life in creative and generous and abundant ways. And over and over again, we hear the words that it was good. It was good. It was very good. Later in Genesis 12, God continues to bring abundance through blessing Abraham and Sarah and their family. Then telling them to go and to be a blessing, to carry out God's creative and generous work in order that all the people on the earth might be blessed through them. We don't see a smidge of scarcity in this litany of blessing and abundance that we find throughout the book of Genesis until Pharaoh comes on the scene, and he dreams about the potential of a famine and suddenly becomes afraid that there won't be enough food to go around. There's a famous story about Martin Niemöller, the German pastor who heroically opposed Adolf Hitler when he was part of a delegation of leaders from the Evangelical Lutheran Church who met with Hitler in 1933. And it is said that Martin stood at the back of the room and quietly observed everything that was going on. He didn't say a word in that meeting. And then when he went home, his wife asked him how the meeting went, and he replied, I discovered that Herr Hitler is a terribly frightened man. Much like Hitler, I believe Pharaoh was a terribly frightened man. And operating from a place of fear, he enlists Joseph to work out a plan to respond to the famine. But it's a plan that will only help Pharaoh. As Brueggemann explains, for the first time in the Bible, someone says, There is not enough, so we've got to get everything. And so Pharaoh sets forth these systems of control and monopoly over the food supply. And in the first year of famine, the people give up their land for the food. The second year, they give up their cattle. And in the third year, they give up all they have left, their children. When they have nothing left to give but themselves, they ultimately give that up too, which is how Israel ultimately becomes slaves to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. Now, despite all that Pharaoh does to them and takes from them, if we continue to read into the beginning of the book of Exodus, we notice that even after the Israelites are in slavery, God continues to provide an abundance for them. This time, that abundance comes in the form of babies. Now, a new king comes to power, and this king, who also happens to be operating from a place of fear and scarcity, looks around and he says there are more Hebrews than there are Egyptians. And they're stronger than we are because they're working harder than they are. And so we've got to do something about this or they will continue to increase and they could join with our enemies and they could fight against us and they would win. Talk about worst case scenario planning. So Pharaoh designs a plan to oppress them with even more forced labor, but the harder he pushes against them, the more the Hebrew people seem to strengthen and multiply. So then Pharaoh comes up with another plan. He goes to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah, and tells them to kill any of the baby boys who are born. But Pharaoh underestimates something. The power of women. And there is no way that these women were going to do this because their allegiance was to God and not to Pharaoh. As pastor and writer Nadia boltz Weber said at an event in Fort Worth a few weeks ago, sometimes like Shifra and Pua, the most holy thing we can say to those in power is, no, not on my watch. Like many of you, I have been gut-wrenchingly sick this week hearing story after story about children being brutally and traumatically ripped from their parents while their families are seeking asylum at our borders. According to the Department of Homeland Security, at least 2,000 children have been separated from their parents since mid-April. And all this is in response to our own government's inhumane and abusive policy Friends, when our government operates from a place of fear and scarcity, when we hear story after story about the cries of children in these facilities who have been separated from their parents and the cries of mothers separated from their babies, I believe our calling is to stand up to power in bold and biblical acts of defiance like our sisters Shifra and Pua and to say, no, not on my watch. My friend and former Calvary member Jamie McLaughlin, who is now serving as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Valley Mills, is organizing a gathering of faith and community leaders downtown at Heritage Square on Tuesday at 2 p.m. called Waco Stands for Children. Jamie writes, our laws are to be obeyed when they are righteous and in line with God's law." A policy which disregards the welfare of children, does violence to the family unit, and causes suffering of innocence is not in line with the way of God. It is against God's law. We ask that the Justice Department immediately cease separating children from their families as part of the zero-tolerance policy. We implore that legislation be created and broadly supported and passed that eliminates such discrimination, violence, and abuse of children. Calvary, I hope we can stand together, that we can stand up to fear, stand up to power, and say, no, not on our watch. I started off today by sharing about the Ebola crisis in Dallas several years ago. And the reason that it's on my mind this week is that I heard friends from Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas present this week at CBF General Assembly about their church's response in the midst of this crisis. Because Louise Tro, the wife of Thomas Duncan, and her children are members at Wilshire. And in the midst of all of this fear and panic in Dallas, Wilshire was all of a sudden thrust into the national spotlight when they discovered that one of their own church members had for over a week been living with the carrier of this infectious disease. Louise and her family had to go under mandatory quarantine immediately. And the very next Sunday, reporters filled the balcony of the sanctuary during worship to see what the church would do and how the church would respond. Looking back on the experience, Pastor George Mason repeatedly told the church during this time of anxiety, love moves toward people and fear moves away. He said, we did everything we could during that time to move toward. George visited Louise and her children while they were under quarantine almost daily. Because of the Ebola infection risk, Cruz had removed all of the furniture from their apartment and stripped it down to the carpeting. But they weren't allowed to leave the shell of an apartment that they had once called home. Meanwhile, the media were outside of their apartment 24-7. Ultimately, George and a local Catholic priest worked with government officials to move the family in the middle of the night to an off-site campground where they would have more space and privacy and the media wouldn't even know where they were. After their mandatory quarantine was over, Louise and her family were grieving over all that had happened to them and all that had been taken away from them. No one in Dallas would rent an apartment to Louise and her family. So several people from Wilshire stepped up to buy them a condo that they could ultimately rent once they got on their feet again. But they also had nothing Officials who had decontaminated their apartment and burned all of their possessions, saving only a few documents, some photographs, and a Bible. This faith community was ushered into a daily work of love and of moving toward and not away from people, even in the midst of a community continuing to live in fear. And I believe our calling is the same. Scarcity causes us to hoard, to grasp, to hold on tighter, to hide, to be afraid, to move away. But love, love calls us to give, to open up, to let go, to stand up, to be brave, to be bold, to walk toward. Love stands up to power and says, no, not on my watch. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love refuses to believe the myths of scarcity and fear and anxiety, even when the world says otherwise. Love invites a different way, a more abundant way. Love is the way of Jesus, who was an immigrant child himself, seeking refuge and safety with his family in a foreign land. And so, my beloved Calvary, may we be brave enough to walk in the way of Jesus, and may we be bold enough to live in the way of God's abundant love. And so, God, I ask you would give us boldness, It's so easy to look around and to notice the things that we do not have, the things that are not right, the things that are not good, the many ways that we don't have enough or that we aren't enough. Stories of scarcity are all around us, and fear is all around us. But I ask that you would give us courage to step into another way, a more abundant way. And that you would give us the courage to walk in Jesus' way. We ask these things in your name and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Well, this morning we have heard and we have sung, we have read and we have spoken about God's abundant love even in a world in which you and I experience the reality of scarcity. Ultimately, it's Jesus who showed us this magnitude of God's love when he moved toward us, not away from us, and came to be with us. Jesus life, death, and resurrection all took place that we too might have life. And as the Gospel of John says, that we might have it abundantly. And so if you would like to talk with one of our ministers about what it looks like to follow and to walk in the way of Jesus, we would love nothing more than to visit with you today. Or if you would like to join this community of faith at Calvary where we seek to know and to follow Jesus together in the best ways we know how, we would love to welcome you into our church family today. However God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship. Come to the feet
5: Friends, let's join together around this table, this table of plenty. This table is for all of us, near and far, high and low, east and west, and north and south. This table is for all of us, but it is not our table. It is not a Baptist table. It is not a Calvary table. This is the Lord's table, and it is for all of us. And it's a table of abundant grace and overwhelming welcome. God of grace, today we are reminded that the abundant life is not the life marked by excess but by enough and enough for all. In times of anxiety and fear, it's easy to focus inwardly on ourselves instead of outwardly on others. It's easy to feel scarce instead of abundant. You have prepared for us this table of nourishment and fellowship, love and comfort. Our cups overflow with your gifts of grace. In this time of breaking bread, God, and at all times, we ask that you empower us to be people of abundant life, that we may choose to trust in your provisions. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: As we share in the Lord's Supper today, We will be coming to different stations around the sanctuary. There are three stations at the front and a gluten-free station at the back. You are invited to come to the one nearest to you. Exit your pew on the right and return on the left. If you'd like to receive the Lord's Supper at your seat, raise your hand and a deacon will come.
5: On the night when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, he gathered with his friends for a meal. He took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus also took the cup. He blessed it and gave it to his friends,
0: saying, This is the cup of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Drink. Do this in remembrance of me.
4: Whenever you eat and drink of this, remember me.
5: For as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, We proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes again. Christ has prepared an abundant feast for us and waits to share in table fellowship with us. So come and take your place at the table. You are welcome. You are invited. You are called. Let us share in this feast which Christ has prepared. Come.
0: I shared at the beginning of worship, this is a big week, big two weeks in the life of Calvary. And tonight we will get together at 5 o'clock p.m. for our training and then for neighborhood canvassing for Children's Bible Club. This is one of the biggest weeks of the year in the life of our church and one of the most missional weeks in the life of our church. And so we are hopeful and excited about the ways that God will work as we come together to serve children in our church and in our neighborhood. And I think we have a lot of fun doing it too. So I hope you'll be there tonight, 5 o'clock training, or if you'd just like to come help hand out flyers, join us at 6 o'clock tonight. Also, next or this coming Saturday is the Women's Tea at Greater New Light at 1 o'clock p.m. Uh, I know the men had a breakfast yesterday, and I've heard wonderful reports from several of our men about that. So this is an opportunity for women. Um, the event is at 1 p.m., and there's more information in your worship folder about how to RSVP for that. And uh, we hope to have a great group of women participating with our friends at Greater New Light this weekend as well. Well, I'm going to ask Rachel and Blake Kent and also the Tang family, if you all would join me up front. Um, it is always very bittersweet to have to say goodbye while we also celebrate that God calls us to different places and from this space. And Rachel and Blake yesterday were loading their moving truck and will be moving to Boston later this week where Blake will do a postdoc fellowship with Harvard You all have been so vital to our ministry here, and particularly to our young adults' ministry over the past few years. Blake has also led us in worship each week in our worship ensemble, and Rachel has served as a deacon with us as well, and we will dearly miss your presence in this place. Also, the Tangs, this is the last Sunday that we may see all of you together here for a while. Dennis recently accepted a job with a 3D printing company that is based in China. And the beautiful thing is that for God to send them to China has been a prayer of the Tangs for quite some time, and they are so passionate about that. It has been a prayer of ours, of our life groups, and our mission teams. And so while we are so sad to see you go, we celebrate and are overjoyed at God's abundance and providing for this. Um, so Dennis starts work later this week, right? Next week, Next week okay. Okay. Uh, And then he and Agnes and Sarah will be helping to lead an English camp in the Shandong province in early July. And then Agnes will leave for Taiwan, where she will be doing a Fulbright fellowship over the next year. Tang's you have also been so instrumental in our ministry and our mission here at Calvary. Not only in our mission team and in our work within China, but in our hospitality to international students and in our ministry in this place. And we are so grateful for your leadership and your ministry here as well. Know that all of you are leaving a tremendous hole at Calvary. and We are grateful for the ways that you have offered your love, your care, your kinships and hopes in this place. And we celebrate with you as you continue to follow where God is calling you. And so we are bookending today's worship with a laying on of hands. And I would like to invite anyone who would like to participate to come lay hands on these two families as we offer today's benediction as a blessing over them. So please make your way forward and lay hands on them at this time. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you and may the spirit abound in you so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with you always. Amen.